Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend, Daniela. And Daniela, I'm going to let you introduce your whole name for our listeners. Yes, thanks. Um, my name, my full name is Daniela Alexis Maraprey. And tell our listeners where you are calling in from. So Papa Osler and I are having this conversation. Uh, he's in the U.S. right now, and I am currently in Mexico. I'm in a small city relatively near to Mexico City, about an hour away. Um, and the city's name is Pula de Allende. It's in the state of Hidalgo, Hidalgo sorry, <laughs> um, near Mexico State. And that's the name of the LDS stake, Hidalgo. Is that right? The, the the name of my stake is the Tula Hidalgo stake. Okay. Yes. And um, just by way of background, um, Daniela is 24, been married about two and a half years, has a wonderful husband, a wonderful marriage. Um, she grew up in the United States, attended BYU-Idaho, and then took a job in Mexico, and then met her husband there, and now is making her life there. And plans to live there. And I think that's awesome. Mexico is a, a beautiful country with wonderful people. And we're going to kind of, we're going to talk about Daniela's faith crisis. And some of our faithful Latter-day Saint members, me included, have gone through, for me, I call it a mini faith crisis. And have found a way to stay a committed, believing um, LDS member. And other members have kind of walked the same road. And this is Daniela bravely sharing her story, and for those of you listeners that are in a faith crisis or you that are trying to help someone in a faith crisis find a way to stay in our church, I hope this podcast will be helpful for you. Daniela and I offered a prayer before we started, and I just pray that the things that she has learned and the things the Lord wants her to share will be shared. Uh, any other introduction stuff, Daniela? Uh, well, that was beautiful. Thank you. Um, some other things that I would share, I guess, maybe about my current membership um, in the church right now. I am still very active in my stake. I currently am working on a project for translating for the church. Um, I'm translating all of the information we have available in relationship to women in the priesthood. So I've done a little bit um, with with some work that Stephen Harper has done. I've also done some work with um, Barbara Morgan Gardner. I've also uh, translated some of Wendy Ulrich's book, and I have also done a little bit of work um, for some of the things that Sarah Mormon has put out as well. Um, so that's one of the things I do, I also am in charge of the English classes that the church um, has developed and put out. It's called it's a program called English Connect. And in my ward, I have a calling as the temple prep teacher. So I guess some of that information might be useful later on. So, but that's it, I think. Thanks for all you do in lots of ways to help build the kingdom and serve Thank you. And I love that you're focused on getting a lot of um, content translated into Spanish around Ruman and the Priesthood. That's um, needed and important content. Is that content in particular in, help, tender for you or key for you? Um, 
Well, I I really have enjoyed a lot of the, the content that I've been able to translate and work through. Um, I've, in addition to translating a lot from scholars or professors, I've also been able to translate some talks or some, I guess, things like at the BYU Education Week, sometimes they have apostles. So I've been able to delve into their words as well. And I, I would say that it's been a special experience. Um, I think it's pretty astounding the amount of things that are not translated um, into other languages. Uh, oftentimes, I think as members that speak English, which is the predominant language of the church, um, we think that everything that we have available is available in other languages. And in some ways, that is true more probably within the last 20 years, but there are so many things that are not available. When I teach classes, I typically end up translating entire sections or, or portions of talks that have been given potentially 50 or 70 years ago, and um, there's there's just no resource for that here. And there's so much, we have so much content that it would take a, a whole army of translation missionaries to really be able to fully access that content and make it available, um, not only just in Spanish, but in other languages. And I think that it's really eye-opening as well, because um, Spanish is the second most spoken language in the church. And, and the things that we don't have available, I can't imagine, um, in other languages like Dutch or or in Africa or in other countries. So Interesting. I've never thought about that. I served a mission in England and never have walked the road of what it's like not to have translated materials and just the enormous charge the church has it's probably up to its members to fulfill that charge like you're doing to help bring the materials into the native languages um, all these languages are beautiful i love all the languages of the world and think it's our responsibility to bring the content to the people of the world in their native tongues Versus, like, require them to learn English to be a member of our church. I don't think anybody, you know, Christ obviously wouldn't have had hurdles, requirement hurdles like that to join his, to join the church. Talk about just your own faith crisis. Um, just introduce that to our listeners. Yeah. So, I, I'll preface this with the fact that I don't think that mine would be, it is not as painful, I think, as it was for many of the people that I have seen go through faith crisis. I think um, it's, it's a respectful thing to address that um, up front, because I, I do know some people that have gone through a really, really um, heart-wrenching time. And I don't think that I could compare my experience with those experiences, um, but I have had the honor to, to be with some of those people when they, they struggle with those types of problems and, and kind of be on that sacred space with them where they are trying to understand um, lots of different things. With my own experience, what ended up happening is there were several people in my life um, I think it started probably with Facebook posts, probably a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago. Um, so we're not looking at an exorbitantly large period of time. Um, but they started to post things about leaving 
Um, and it, it, it hurts. I think, you know, when, when you're a faithful believing member, sometimes before you've encountered some of the information that you start to begin to encounter when you go through a faith crisis, particularly one that deals with historical issues, it's very hard to understand where those people are coming at those posts from or coming at those experiences from. Um, so I was where I currently am, um, where the information is limited. So I think we've kind of prefaced that a little bit. Um, and I started to see some people that I had attended college with, people that I had shared experiences with, um, talk about leaving. And I just was devastated at certain points. I, I really struggled with that experience. And so until that point, I had considered myself pretty knowledgeable about church things, right? I had been raised in the church. I went to youth camps. I attended a church school. I had taught various lessons and, and studied the words of the prophets and the scriptures and everything. So I thought that I could understand um, the majority of what was happening uh, with the problems that people were, were having. And so one day I heard something very specific. It was the first time that I had heard something where I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and I wasn't sure what to do with that information. And so I um, went to the internet. I didn't really know where to look. I didn't have access to the books that I had seen other people studying when I was in religion classes um, at a church school, which obviously they have quite extensive literature. Uh, so I just, I just looked it up and I think I found the gospel topic essay about Joseph Smith's polygamy. And I was like, oh, I didn't know this existed. And when I read it, I knew probably most of the information that was included there. Um, but I was confused about something. Um, I felt... First off, probably sweaty. I, I think people would probably describe it as panic, but it's like that, that experience where you just you feel like your hands get really cold and your body temperature changes and you're like, okay, I don't know what to do with this information. And I think one of the things that's so shocking about that type of information is sometimes it's just so completely different from anything you see at church, right? I, I think at least that's one of the things that I have experienced um, as I've talked to people that go through similar similar situations. They they start to read things and they're like, wait a second, not only do we not hear about this at church, but the values that we see happening there are completely different than what you would see being preached in general conference, for example, or talked about um, in a Sunday school lesson. So from there, I started to struggle and I have always been a person that's very information oriented and I like to read, I like to study. And so I wasn't really sure what to do, um, but I just started reading. I started to look for resources that I could find and I found a lot um, on both sides. I don't think that it was really more one way than the other in the beginning. Um, it was mostly, I mean, would you like me to mention names? Should I be giving resources? Sure, <laughs> that's know. great. That's great, Daniela. Okay. Yeah, okay. Um, so in the beginning, I mean, I was I was knee-deep 
probably in Richard Bushman the same amount as I was in Sandra Tanner or in John DeLynn while listening to podcasts was something I did when I would work. Um, I, I do work um, full-time, but I, I would listen to them in between my breaks also when I was cleaning. Um, from there, I also was listening to the Maxwell Institute. And um, in these moments, I started to discover names that I probably had heard before, but did not remember. So, you know, it's it, there are pretty clear places where you begin, I think. I read a little bit of Fawn Brody um, and No Man Knows My History because I found it in a podcast that I had listened to. And I also read um, some of Rough Stone Rolling um, from Richard Bushman, which I think are probably a lot of the basis um, starting points for probably a lot of people. And as I was reading these two books, which I, I'll be honest, I didn't finish either of them because they are quite long. Um, and after a little bit of time, I sometimes get, got sidetracked by other questions and other projects. And so I was reading so many books at once. Um, I think within the space of a year, I read somewhere close to 30 wow. all the way through. This doesn't include the ones that I didn't finish, about 30 LDS or uh, Mormon history related books. And that doesn't include the podcast and watching things. So just an exorbitant amount of information. And because of the way that I live, I do work from home. So I have quite a bit of ability to, um, oh, are you still there? Yes. Yes, I'm here. Oh, one second. Sorry. Okay, sorry. I got another call. Okay. Now, so just a, a lot of information, just reading and listening to everything, because in the beginning, it was a lot of confusion. Not really sure how to approach the information. And I'm not trained... Um, in scholarship or in research or anything like that. I had done maybe some things in college, but I was not um, at the level of someone who's, who's trained or would consider a historian. And so I tried at the beginning to really recognize that in myself and be very humble with the fact that I understood that I would try my best to understand these things, but I probably wouldn't be able to understand them perfectly. And so that's kind of where I reached an impasse, I would say, after I started to do all of this research and um, absorb all of this content, I started to look for a community. Um, so at that point, um, I had a friend. And she and I are still friends. She is an absolutely amazing and wonderful person. Her name is Martha Keys, and she recommended me to an online group um, called Uplift, which is um, how I got really involved in the Mormon faith crisis, faith crisis world, I guess, um, where you start to get involved with all of these names and you start to know all of these people that before, um, just as a general member, I don't think people have a clue. Sometimes I bring them up to people uh, or friends that I have just in general conversation, and they have no idea who I'm talking about. And that's always a fun wake-up check when you realize that you have um, kind of left reality and or come back, or maybe, I don't know. Um, but I, I would say that that's pretty typical of most people that I've worked with that have gone through major faith crises. Um, it starts out with learning something, it starts out with just being really confused, or perhaps sometimes people sit on it. I know some people who sit on it for years. They hear some information, and they're like, well, I can't think about this, or I don't know where to look for this, and so I'm just going to push it down. 
And eventually there comes a point where we, where you need to know or you need to understand or you need to do more research um, for the sake of yourself, not just for others um, or not just because uh, you, you know, you heard something and you were curious about it. There becomes this need. And then at that point, um, I think either you start with a, an experience with a group, perhaps an online group or some friends or something, or a lot of people will kind of do what I did and they just started like consuming material just at insane rates. I knew some people that they would talk about how they entered into faith crisis and then all of a sudden, you know, yeah, how many times on Sunday do you hear the teacher say, please study the lesson outside of class, please study the lesson outside of class, and nobody does it. And then when someone enters into a faith crisis, it's like all of a sudden 30 hours a week are just dedicated to studying this thing that before you thought you knew or before you um, participated in actively with your whole life, with all of your experiences, and now all of a sudden you truly are absorbed into it and for some people um, that leads to them leaving and for some people like myself that leads to staying in and and having a really I would say deep in it and full appreciation for the gospel and what it is and, and what it can do for us in our lives and also understanding things that, that I didn't know before um, I would say I've grown a lot as a person with this experience so it's really cool I think um yeah Patrick Mason talks about, you know, in his book, Planted, talks about um, switched off or squeezed yeah. out. And switched off is are kind of members who have concerns about historical stuff, polygamy, yeah. multiple counts of the first vision. <laughs> squeezed out sometimes are members that um, embrace the core gospel but kind of feel alienated by modern issues like the role of women, LGBTQ, dominant political mm -hmm. conservatism. Um, for our listeners, for you, was it both? Was it one or more the other? That's, uh, first of all, I have to say I love that book. That's a fantastic resource for people that are beginning to enter into faith crisis. I have not only recommended it to people, but I have actually given it to some people because it is just such a wonderful book. Um, so for me, I would say it was a little bit of both, but for different reasons. Um, for switched off, absolutely, because there was just so much that I did not understand, um, and I wanted to understand, and I felt at times anxious because I, I had friends that were leaving or, or people that were close to me that were leaving, so there was a lot of anxiety. There was depression that accompanied it, and so just, I mean, switched off. Absolutely, from all the fatigue, and I would say that that's, that's the reason why a lot of people get switched off, because you just get tired. Um, and for squeezed out, I live in a place where there was no one to talk to, absolutely no, no one. I mean, and, and like I mentioned, resources are not available in Spanish. And that was to the point when I had gone to this, I mean, for the, the year before that or the year and a half before that, all of the study of the gospel I had done was in my second language. And so I had to actively search for things in English, which took me to, um, you know, spending more time speaking English and thinking in English and also uh, buying books and all kinds of stuff like that. But there was nobody around me that I could discuss these things with. And so everything that I sifted through for a while was purely by myself. I didn't have anyone that I could really talk to about um, Joseph Smith or about other things that didn't know more than just 
a very basic primary answer. So, so I felt switched off because I felt very isolated. I felt like I couldn't understand. I felt like I couldn't speak the language as well as I wanted. And aside from that, even if I could speak the language, there was just no one. So, You're doing a great job, Danielle, of just sharing your journey. And I think a lot of us would just like to put our arms around you because we've been there. And when you sort of open this door of I want to understand, you went to the Gospel Topic Essays, and that's a church-developed resource I think our listeners know. But And you rightly mm-hmm. so, because you care and you're thoughtful and you're, the intent is to understand. I don't think there's an intent on your side to leave the church or to turn away from God. You want to genuinely understand. And um, so you do everything you can, and there's... It's hard to navigate. It was hard to navigate for me because there's a lot of voices out there, and I wondered which would be the most voice helpful voices for me um, mm-hmm. as I turned beyond the gospel topic essays. I wanted additional content, um, and I did, in my own journey, had to spend a lot of thought and prayer and kind of figure out who all the players were in this world um, yeah. and what their ultimate goal was as far as me. Were they... You know, there's probably a range, some that are trying to talk about this stuff in a way that, um, like I'm trying to do, to help people stay. And if people do step away, to try to create a little more understanding why someone steps away and not villainize them and keep relationships together and keep families together. And maybe there's other groups that are more neutral and, and then other groups whose goal is to, if they've left, perhaps to have other people leave with them and want to see the church not succeed. Um, and there may that may be too simplistic, just those kind of three areas. But I think it takes a while to know all the players and what all the goals are. And I've I Facebook friended people in that early stage as I wanted to learn um, that I've since unfriended <laughs> because I recognize yep. um, and I've created a boundary there where I, I understand what they're trying to accomplish and and it's and I just chose to make a boundary there. Um, talk about um, our our joint friend Leo. If I'm saying Leo's name right, Winnegar is the mm-hmm. one that connected me with you, and I think he and I think you're our moderator too in the Uplift Facebook group. Is that true? Yes, I am. I am actively involved in a couple of the Uplift subgroups as well. Uh, we have a specific group for women's studies, which I um, do quite a bit of research and write posts for. Um, it's an all-woman-based uh, group. Um, then there's the main group. There are also other groups, I think, ones that devoted to LGBTQ members. Um, there's another one for the Come Follow Me study, and uh, there, I think there's another main one. I believe they also have one for, like, mixed-faith families. And for people who have members of their family who leave the church, um, kind of how to process that or how to find resources for that. So Leo is, uh, I I would say he he started Uplift, I think in the last little bit, he's probably put more of an effort to um, create a council of Uplift, which is what I would say I'm a part of. Uh, It's me and, and some absolutely fantastic people that I work with who are just I would say now at this point, some of my absolute best friends, I would consider each and every single one of them family. Uh, right now we're uh, working on a, a gathering. Um, we call them gathering for you. It's like a get together. 
and we're going to do one right before general conference. Typically, we have a large one in Salt Lake or in Provo um, before general conference in April. And he started Uplift because he went through a safe crisis um, for a little bit of time, ended up not, obviously, he didn't uh, remove his name or anything like that, but he describes his time away from the church, kind of being an atheist for a little bit. And then he had an experience where he felt like he needed to speak with a historian. Um, in fact, really prestigious historian in these circles, Steve Harper. He's one of the people that worked on Saints, I believe. Um, he still works for the church history department. I think he also does work with BYU right now. Um, but he either called him or sent him an email, and they had a conversation. And based off of the advice that Brother Harper, Professor Dr. Harper gave him, um, he then decided to change the way that he was doing things and was able to come back to full faith. Um, during that time, I think he did a lot kind of similar to what you described. There's a lot of adding people, joining groups, leaving groups, kind of figuring out this whole world that, I mean, the general membership, I would say, has very little knowledge about. Um, and he created his own group. Uh, we have, I think, 2,500 members right now, and then probably around 2,800 if we count some of the people that we just have in some of those subgroups. And um, it's a fantastic place, I think, for people going through faith crisis. So... And I'm a member of that group, and I probably joined it two or three years ago. That's when I first became aware of Leo and his work. And and yep. um, I like your, you know, just so our listeners know, it's a, it's a private group, but you can join um, Uplift Community of Faith, and it's, it's supportive of the church and also supportive of talking about these complicated topics in a faithful way. So I encourage other yep. people to join in a great work you're doing. I didn't realize the subgroups, Daniela, and I think subgroups are sometimes very helpful, LGBTQ women, um, just the different topics that people um, want to faithfully process um, with other people. And I have, and some of my best friends are those that have kind of walked this road at the same time or have been mentors to me on this road that I bravely trusted and were very helpful for me as they had kind of walked this road before and could lead me. Um, I wanted to stay in the church. You know, most, I did a Twitter poll a couple of years ago of all of you that are in a faith crisis. Um, do you want to find a way to stay or do you want to find a way to leave? And, and 88% said they want to find a way to stay. Um, I find very few people that have spent decades in the church that want to find a way to leave. Um, some just aren't able to find a way to stay, authentically believe, and they step away, but it's not really what they're, they don't really want to do that. I, any thoughts on that? Is that your experience, or what would you say on that? So I, in my time as a moderator, um, I get to work with not only the council um, that has absolutely wonderful people. In fact, Martha is a part of the council. So not only do we have our own private chat, but we get to interact um, in, a, in a really wonderful way, um, having our own discussions and having our own relationship with these people. But I also get to interact with people that are in the middle of a really hard faith crisis or sometimes people that have been on that journey for a while. So there, I would say... Mm, most of the people that we get that are very early on in their faith crisis, as you mentioned, 
are just looking for relief. They're looking for their bomb of Gilead. They're looking for someone who understands them, someone to talk about these things with. And I have had conversations that I would consider sacred because of the pain that people bring to those conversations and the the way that they phrase their their questions and their their feelings is just it is nothing I have ever experienced before and and we also meet people that are further down the road that maybe have decided one way or the other um, and are kind of checking us out to see what they think um, what I would say to people who are looking to interact with people as they go through faith crisis is to expect um, I don't I don't want to be rude, but I would say to expect the worst sometimes because when you go through something that it is raw is as raw as a faith crisis, people tend to be quite angry um, and hurt and um, I would say irritable sometimes. And so sometimes dealing with people, you get people that are very angry or very matter of the fact or, or very stuck in one way or the other. And it takes a lot of patience to be able to handle those people. But I would say that the majority of people that experience this would say that they did not ask for it and that they want to find a way to come out of it stronger. And I, I think that that's a beautiful thing. I see that very often. Talk about um, some some of, of the people that have gone through a faith crisis talking about a, a deconstruction and a reconstruction um, and that the reconstruction leads them to continue to be a faithful, committed Latter-day Saint, but it's different than it was before. Does share with our listeners if any of that resonates with you, and if so, how you'd explain that in your journey? Yeah. So in Uplift, we actually are really blessed with a lot of the members we have. Uh, one of the admins with me is a, is a psychologist. Um, we also have people that are from all walks of life. Some are amateur scholars, some are professional scholars. Um, we have a lot of wonderful, fantastic resources, I would say, for people that we can ask questions to and kind of figure things out. Um, I think a lot of members, when they hear that, probably feel uncomfortable. I, I know I would feel uncomfy if I had not been through it, where people say, where they talk about how it's different, um, because I think sometimes they think that it's worse. There's a story of um, Patrick Mason and Richard Bushman doing one of their firesides. Um, yes, and I, I believe Carol Gibbons was with them, and um, Richard Bushman turns to them and said, I just really hope that as we do this, it doesn't take away from the power of the restored gospel. And so sometimes I think for people who have not gone through faith crisis, when they hear that, they feel uncomfortable with good reason um, because they just are, we're uncomfortable with the unknown. So when you go through a faith crisis, you have to re-examine everything that you thought you knew. And that's just how it is. Um, sometimes it's a fallacy. Some people, when they experience a faith crisis in the church, they unfortunately lose faith in God and in Jesus Christ altogether. Um, and I would I would consider that something like a slippery slope fallacy, like, well, if, if this isn't real, then none of it's real. And it just all unravels so quickly. Um, and I would hope that even if people cannot find a way to stay in the church, 
um, that they would not experience that, that they would at least try to find ways to continue believing in a higher power and believing in God or in Jesus Christ, um, because there's power in that. There's power in belief and there's power in faith. But what ends up happening is you need to examine what you thought you knew and what you think you don't know. I had a really powerful experience reading a scholar. Um, his, his name is Ben Spackman. Um, he has a blog, I believe it's called Benjamin the Scribe, and he, his work um, in biblical studies, in early church history, is something that I have absolutely loved. He's a fantastic um, a fantastic scholar. And he wrote about being on his mission and finding out about the seer stone. And this experience was really foundational to me because he was um, on, I believe he served in England as well. I don't know. Um, don't quote me on that. But he was there and he heard some of this. And they were talking about the seer stone. And this was back before gospel topic essays or anything like that. And he said he had a moment where he realized well, I don't know how as much as I thought I knew. And that, I think, could be true of anyone going through faith crisis because you go to seminary, you go to all these things, and you think you know stuff. Um, and I did have, like, a basic outline, but there was so much that I did not know. And I think um, probably the crux of, of one of the things I struggled with the most was Joseph Smith himself, which is a huge thing to struggle with um, when I belong to the church that he created, right? I think a lot of people can base a lot of their things back to just not knowing about Joseph Smith. So... As I began to examine these different pieces, Uplift has a video where uh, when I first joined during all of this, it talks about preparing to scale a mountain and realizing that you needed to be prepared and recognizing that it was going to be a long and hard journey up the side of this mountain, but recognizing there would be people at the top to help you, recognizing that there are tools that you need. And we're not just talking about books. We're talking about critical thinking skills. We're talking about compassion, spiritual um, capacity, all kinds of wonderful things that help you to scale this mountain. And as I began to do that, I started to realize things like, for example, let's, let's point to some sort of folk tale, or maybe it's not a folk tale, I don't know. Um, have you heard the saying that Joseph Smith, uh, that Joseph Smith is second only to Jesus Christ himself? Did you hear that? Because I've yes, heard that a lot. culturally I've heard that. Yep, yep, I've heard that. And so going into that, I mean, imagine... Thinking that, okay, this man must be so holy, so good, and then reading Rough Stone Rolling, even just the first couple of chapters about um, treasure hunting, about the Seer Stone, about the trial that he was on, uh, reading about a little bit of his polygamy, like all of these things, and thinking, okay, this is a lie. <laughs> this can't be true. Because if this person was as good as the Savior, who we believe is perfect, how can he be so imperfect? And it's stuff like that that, that break a testimony, I would say. And so when you hear that stuff, you have to look at it. You have to deconstruct that, that thought process. Joseph Smith is, is second only to Jesus Christ. And say, okay, well, where does this come from? Who said this? What was the context? Was it official? Was it just folk this or that? For example, uh, one of the things that I've done a lot of work in and I'm actually working on with a fellow scholar, well, aspiring scholar, is a paper about um, womanhood, the priesthood, heavenly mother, some of these very typical topics of femininity. 
Um, but a lot of what we understand about Heavenly Mother and why we don't talk about her is, is folk, folk religion. It has no basis in things that apostles and prophets have said. Um, when you read even just the most basic um, thing about it, like a mother bear, one of the things it addresses is where that myth that we don't talk about Heavenly Mother because she's too sacred or because Heavenly Father wants to protect her doesn't even come from any of our ecclesiastical leaders. Um, I believe she talks about how it comes from like primary and, and some seminary teacher that it got wrote down in a book and then it got kept, kept getting passed along. And that's something that I even heard, you know, that we don't talk about Heavenly Mother because she's too sacred. And going through a faith crisis, I mean, that just gets blown out of the water. Everything's on the table. Okay, so what did, what did I think I know? What do I think I know about polygamy? What do I think I know about the seer stone, about um, Joseph Smith's first vision, about Brigham Young, about um, the development of the church in other countries? And why do I think I know that? Where did it come from? And how can I do more research about it? It's a very grueling process, um, and it's something that we refer to in Uplift as epistic humility, because we need to understand epistemology. This is something that we, we put a lot of focus in, which is how we know something and why we know it. And it's basically different sources that we look at ourselves scholarly sources, witness testimony, all of that, and understanding that at some point we're just not going to have the answers. Um, we need to be okay with uncertainty, and we need to understand that we are not geniuses. You know, I, I think that that's something that's easy for me as a woman, because I'm already used to being timid or whatever else. That's something that I began to recognize in myself. I was very humble in that aspect um, because of my nature. And then I was able to work with that. I needed to understand myself. I needed to understand my spirituality, my knowledge, before I could start to rebuild my testimony. And I would say the process for me has been absolutely transcendent. It has been very powerful. Tell our listeners why you stay after all that you've learned and why do you stay a member of our church well that's a big question i think that it's something that i have tried to to put my finger on um but i i think the best way for me to explain it is probably to explain to the listeners a little bit about myself and who i am um when i was going through some really difficult questions. Um, I was speaking with some of my friends at Uplift and, and one of the admins, one of the other admins, his name is Dan Ellsworth, and he's a fantastic person. Um, he was discussing some things with me and he said, well, are you a mystic? I don't know what that word is <laughs> in the beginning, or at least I had heard it, but I associated it with completely something else. And I said, well, I don't know. And he said, well, let me ask you a question. If you could have all of these questions solved right now, or you could go to the temple and see your deceased family member that you miss so much and have them tell you something important or have this beautiful experience, which one would you choose? And in that moment, I realized that even though I did devote so much time to um, studying and to understanding, ultimately, I... I need the relationship that I've cultivated with the divine. 
Um, that's that's the most important thing for me. I mean, without a shadow of a doubt, I would love to go to the temple and have one of those experiences. And that would be the most important thing for me because through the time that I've spent dealing with faith crisis or, or difficult questions, at the end of the day, maintaining my spirituality has been key. And I think that's one of the reasons faith crisis is so hard because it invokes these strong um, problems like depression or anxiety, which we know and understand from from some fantastic um, faithful psychologists and therapists, that that inhibits the spirit, right? It takes away our ability to feel the spirit. And so I think that's one of the reasons faith crisis can be so hard. And I really appreciated the spiritual experiences that I started to have once I was able to come out of those questions. So for me, the church and my experience with the church has been a really transcendent experience my entire life. I began with relationship issues I had with my father. My parents are divorced, um, which is quite recent actually, but I grew up with quite a, a, an abusive father. And wow. I remember being a teenager and I went to the temple once to do baptism. And when I went, I went to a Las Vegas temple. That, that was my temple at the time. There was a father baptizing all of his children for their family, right? You know, the, the quintessential Mormon story. They, they go, they do their family history work, they do it as a family, and it's just so beautiful. And I was sitting there in the baptistry alone. It was, re- it was after they had released um, Limited Youth Recommend. And... I just thought, oh, I wish, I wish that I could have that. And I had an experience where um, I, I heard a voice. And uh, this is still one of the foundational experiences of my life. And the voice said, you have a father, and he loves you very much. And that experience for me continues to be such a sacred moment. I remember going through all of the problems I had with with my biological father and knowing in a very spiritual way, because there are different ways that we know things, sometimes it's logical, sometimes it's spiritual, um, that I had a Heavenly Father who loved me. And then going through other experiences, I was endowed very young. I was endowed around the time that they changed the mission age. But um, I was one of the first people that was endowed because they they wanted to be. <laughs> I didn't go because I had a mission call. I wasn't getting married. I didn't get married for several years after that, until several years after that. Um, but I really knew that I needed to go to the temple, and I spent a lot of time praying and pleading about it, and finally they let me go through. And um, the experience I had in the temple, again, was it was another transcendent experience. Um, where I had moments of pure revelation or moments where I knew that what I was doing was facilitating a relationship I would never have in any other way. And I'm very aware of the dialogue on both sides because, as I mentioned, I did spend a lot of time in the beginning, um, I guess you could say in both camps. Um, I heard a lot of things like mental gymnastics, um, cognitive dissonance, what are some of the other things people say? Um, they talk about how every, you know, religion is emotional, which, I mean, they're not wrong, um, but that, that makes it not real. Um, and then somewhere along the way, as I started to listen to those people, I started to have these experiences um, where I decided that I needed to read the scriptures. So I started to read the Book of Mormon. 
Um, and these people kept saying, as I was listening to some of these podcasts, and I listened to a little bit of um, what's, what's Bill Reels? Well, Bill Reels podcast, I think Free Radio Mormon or something like that, um, and and some of John Dillon. I'm, I'm listening to the way that they talk about religion. They talk about it being an, an emotional experience primarily, and, and it's all just made up, and it's this and it's that. And I started to have this experience, like this little tugging in the back of my, my heart's turn, I guess you could say. And so I started to read the Book of Mormon, and in the Book of Mormon it says, remember, like a bunch of times, uh, the Doctrine and Covenants. You have this, this section where Joseph Smith is writing the section about Oliver Cowdery, I think it's six or seven or something like that. And he said, cast your mind back. And to the night when I first illuminated your mind, what greater witness can you have than that of God? And I'm reading the Book of Mormon, and it talks about remember, oh, remember, my son, uh, remember this, remember that, and on all of these powerful experiences. And it just started to feel overwhelming. It got to the point where I would open my scriptures, and it was like an immediate conduit between me and the divine, some sort of divine. And... And it, I just started to remember these experiences. I remembered being in the temple. I remembered going to a class or a seminary class or something and having moments that were so specifically for me. And some of them, unfortunately, I can't even describe them as emotional experiences because they were experiences that were almost like an out-of-body experience or experiences where I had a voice or where I was thinking one thing and very set in one way, and then all of a sudden my mind clears and a voice comes and says, no, this is wrong. You need to do this. And then myself, you know, the, the, the brain comes back and myself, I'm trying to figure out a way to deny that or to get rid of that or to get over that. And I recognized that I couldn't because it was, it was from something other than myself. And I, I related some of those experiences more and more at that point because that was when the spirit started to come back to things I was reading in church history. Um, for example, when Joseph Smith talks about how he, he had had a vision or he had had an experience and he knew it and God knew it and he couldn't deny it. And those words started to have impact on me. And so I stay because... I have been able to facilitate something that I haven't been able to facilitate in any other way. And I, I grew up um, with several friends that were members of, the, of our church. I grew up going to lots of different churches because my grandparents were not active, and so my mother took us to lots of churches. Um, when I was a teenager, I did one of those deals where I would go to church with my friend, and then they were supposed to come with me, and nobody wanted to go to the Mormon church, so I always went to their churches. And I had had experiences um, with lots of other faiths, but the only one that I was able to have these experiences with was, was the one that I was raised in. Um, so I would say the reason that I stay is not because of church history or because of some cool lesson I learned from church history, though that augments my experience. It's because of the relationship that the restored gospel has been able to give me, not only with God, but with my family, my very broken family, um, and my understanding of life. So I would say... I, I think that would be the best answer I could give. It's a great answer. And thank you, Daniela, for being so open with so many parts of your life and being vulnerable and honest. It really helps our fellow listeners. It helps me. Uh, what would your advice be to um, people 
that are trying to help people in a faith crisis. So let's say I'm a YSA bishop or a parent or a friend, and there's somebody in my life that's going through a faith crisis, and they kind of open up to me and they say, I'm in a faith crisis or whatever vocabulary they use, and I'm trying to figure out if I can stay in the church. What would you say to those people that are helping others? I think um, up until this point, a lot of the vocabulary has been to, for for leaders at least, to, to tell people to stop it, right? To tell them to just have faith, to doubt your doubts, which, by the way, that talk, um, Come Join With Us by Elder Uchtdorf, I believe it's from 2014, everybody quotes um, the part where it says, doubt your doubts before you doubt your faith, but you should understand how incredibly powerful that talk is and how beautiful it is. That's just one part of it, but that's the worst part of the whole talk. It, it really helped me uh, when I was beginning because of the compassion that Elder Uchtdorf gives. We need to be very careful as a people to listen to how we sound. If somebody comes into your office and says, hey, I'm having a faith crisis, I don't know if Joseph Smith is a prophet. I don't know if I can support the church with their stance on, the, on our LGBTQ brothers and sisters. What do I do? You can't just say, well, you need to pray more. You need to read your scriptures. And you need to doubt all of these doubts that you're having because that creates a, a, an experience of suppression. And those people have a really hard time when they finally let faith crisis sit in. And some of those people are the people I've worked with. When somebody tells you something like that, you need to be willing to sit with them in their uncertainty. There are a lot of people in this church that feel very certain about things. And I commend some people because I, I don't try to judge experiences or doubt experiences. But the whole purpose of faith is to live with uncertainty. I think the Book of Mormon is incredibly clear about that, that faith is hoping for things. Faith is not knowing things. Faith is sitting with this, this, this um, discontentment because you don't understand. And so for those people, what they need in that moment, because that's a really raw moment, is love. They need compassion, and they need someone to say, okay, tell me more. All right, so you don't think that Joseph Smith is a prophet. Can you explain to me some of the reasons you feel that way? And to not try to come in and say, well, have you read the Gospel Topics essays? And do you have this? And do you have that? Because when you give resources without establishing trust, people do not want those resources. What they need is a friend. And once they have gone, once they have explained things to you, and we shouldn't be afraid. You know, I, I tell people all the time that faith crisis or that knowing things about the church is not a recipe for leaving the church. Because I know very, very many I people love who are incredibly good and faithful who stay in the church. Um, Dan, for example, I mean, he went through an incredibly rough faith crisis. He's now in a bishopric where he's at. Leo has done so much in his ward and in his stake. He's constantly doing things. I have a friend who's coming back to the church. He's excommunicated. He's, he's getting ready to be rebaptized and have his restoration of blessings. Like, knowing these things is not the end of the road. It can be the beginning of a beautiful, beautiful journey and understanding of, I would say, life, of the purpose of the gospel of the purpose of the plan of salvation, what it is, why we care so much about the restoration, why this is so important, and 
but the people can't get there until they have a community. So if, if you're that bishop, if you're that branch president or that state president, you need to be willing to sit with these people and, and love them for a little bit of time. And sometimes, this is the thing, sometimes faith crisis needs to lead people out of the church before they can lead them back. I, I hope per- people cherish that line because um, I one of my friends, Come up with <laughs> also works with the Mormon Women Project, which is started by uh, Neilan McBain. And if, yeah. you, if for those of you who are not familiar with her, she is actually the woman that was in charge of the I Am a Mormon campaign. She wrote a fantastic book called Women at Church. She has done amazing things about the suffrage movement, the suffragette movement in Utah. And um, she's in charge of the Better Days 2020 campaign. And one of my friends works for her Mormon Women Project. I believe it's foundation. And they're doing a, uh, um, a project right now called Tales of Return. And we have people that were excommunicated, people that have their records removed, that went inactive, all kinds of amazing, incredible stories. And all of these women that I keep reading these stories about and getting to interact with, they needed the time away. And it was okay to continue. I mean, there's a verse in 3 Nephi where Jesus Christ says that he was lifted on the cross to bring all men unto him. And we think about that, I think, in very temporal, short-term terms. The reality is is that when somebody leaves, Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ and Heavenly Mother never stop watching them. They never leave them. They never forsake them. That's what it says in Isaiah, uh, that, that we have been engraven on the palms of our Savior's hands, and he is with us. He can never forget us. And so when somebody goes through a faith crisis and it takes them away from the church, I, I honestly don't feel so panicked anymore. In fact, sometimes not at all, because I have such a testimony in the power of the feeling. I think the feeling is one of the most beautiful things because, I mean, that's, that's what draws us to Jesus, right? When we get sealed, it's not just this little love chapel. It's, it's a ceiling to our heavenly parents. It's a ceiling to Jesus Christ, and it's through the power of Jesus Christ that that happens, and it will forever draw us to, them, to him. Even if we lose faith in a deity, even if we lose faith in this or that, our Savior is always there and always beckoning and always there with an arm, his arms wide open, and sometimes it will take eons, but I believe that everyone, and this is something that I have had the pleasure of learning as I've been able to study more about the restored gospel, I believe that every person will make it back to our heavenly parents and to Jesus Christ and will have the opportunity for exaltation. And I believe that the majority of us will be exalted. I, I believe in eternal progression. I believe in the things that a lot of the early church members said. I mean, that was that was what Joseph Smith was talking about when he introduced the ceiling, when he introduced these things, is a way for us to be like heavenly, our heavenly parents through a very um, powerful experience of the atonement of our Savior. So I, I would hope that people would listen to that and, and really remember it because it's okay it's okay to have doubts. It's okay to go through a faith crisis. It's okay to leave. It's it's good to come back. It's okay to to kind of walk the path that that you feel is right. Um, and I 
I would just, I would hope that everyone remembers that um, as they see people leave, as they see people struggle. I love that, Daniela, and I, I've always, I feel like if we really own the power of our doctrine and loving Heavenly Parents and this plan of salvation, that it does give a feeling to trust people in their journey and to see the long view, the 40,000-foot level. Heavenly Father has trusted us, and I think we need to trust every others that they're doing their best. And and you're right, for some, we wouldn't want anybody to leave inherently, but for some people they may... That may be part of their mortal journey. I don't think we, neither of you or me were to invite someone to leave, but we'd honor them and um, keep them in our circle and not make shaming comments like you're never going to be happy or some of these things that I think would make them feel, make it feel harder to return if they did have a change of heart because they've sort of mm -hmm. dug in their heels and we've created a wedge between them and their decisions versus just love them and trust them as they move their way forward. Um, so great, thoughtful insights. We're coming up at the hour mark, so I'll just let you see if there are there any last things you'd like to share with our listeners. Um, two two quick thoughts, and I think that will be it. When we were talking about the journey, um, this past general conference, we had that absolutely lovely talk about um, the journey of the plan of salvation that Elder Ujdorsky gave, uh, where he compares the life that we have in the plan of salvation to the hobbit um, and i think you know he goes into some really beautiful surface level themes about the similarities between the plan of salvation and the hobbit and all of that and, and i think he did a fantastic job but i as i started to think more and more about it i started to think about the things that global wagons go through i i love i absolutely love the, the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings, some of my favorite literature um, from J.R. Tolkien. And think about the giants, think about the symbolism of smog, think about like the, the deceptions that we go through, the pain, the loss, the isolation. I think that it's a really powerful metaphor, and I think it, the best way that we can think about our life is as a journey, as a great epic journey. Um, where we make decisions from day to day that eventually accumulate in a life that is um, important and special in some way, and that we all have equal access to, to greatness I, I, through time. Um, the, the other thing is there's a story uh, of Brigham Young, and Brigham Young is someone I, I would say actually towards the end of, of my struggles, and probably even now, um, I I think that he's probably a person I struggle with a lot, and then I read something about him, and I, I think, oh, wow, like this man was a prophet. He was a really hard person to, to understand and to like and to even appreciate, but, but then he does something, and it reminds me of, of his mantle as a prophet, and I think that that's a really important thing. Um, but there's a story where he discusses how the purpose of Mormonism is to draw out all of our imperfections, all of the things that are bad about us, all of the things that are wrong or that are that can hurt people, and to change them into something good. And that, for me, is really powerful because that's been my experience in, in organized religion. I think a lot of people struggle and almost become allergic 
um, to, to organize religion in general or the church um, in general, and uh, where they we start to do all these these hot topics when we go through faith crisis, polygamy, um, fear stones, Joseph Smith, this, that, and it, it turns into something that makes us allergic to going to church or to hearing a testimony or stuff like that. But I found that as I worked out my own salvation, to, to quote some of our Come Follow Me, um, with the Lord, with Jesus Christ, those things started to change. And so I would say, um, as a final note, to anyone who's going through a faith crisis, remember that you can read all of the, the church history you want. You can study all the policies. You can meet the apostles. You can talk to your bishops and everything. But at the end of the day, um, those are all what I would call vertical or excuse me, horizontal interactions where we're reaching to people around us, we're reaching to books, but there's a very important relationship that you can't neglect, which is the horizontal, or it's so bad, the vertical one, <laughs> where we reach into our spirituality, into our relationship with the divine, which is not easy for everyone to have. And so it's very, very important that we remember um, to go to God. I, I think that there's a really important reason why um, in the epistemology that we learn for the gospel, which and we have a lot of it. We have the book from Brother and Sister Hazen about faith is not blind. I think they go into a beautiful um, framework for epistemology. I think that in the Book of Mormon, you find a lot of beautiful things for that as well. And if you want to learn a little bit more about that, join our group. Um, but one of the things that's really important is it says at the end of the well, it doesn't say this, I'm paraphrasing. Um, that at the end of the day, we have to go to God. And we have to ask, and we have to have a witness for ourselves. And some people will say confirmation bias. Um, but that's why we have to learn the language of revelation. That's why we need to learn how God speaks to us um, and how the Spirit speaks to us and what the Spirit is even. Um, because at the end of the day, that is where we go. We make decisions based off of our thoughts and feelings. And that's why the Lord says he will tell us in our heart and in our mind. So if you're struggling with all of this, it's important that you don't just ask the Spirit, because I think that if you're depressed and you're anxious and you're confused, then you're going to have a really hard time getting any kind of answer. Um, but if you can go and you can work out your salvation there and you maintain that relationship, um, you will be exactly where you need to be. And once you have that self, that in, internal, um, I would call it, ordaining almost because it is it is getting power from god for a very specific reason um it's it's impossible for anyone to tell you that you're too liberal or or too conservative or too this or too that because you have that direct relationship with the divine and that's a very powerful thing so i i think that's where i would finish so thank you so much for for letting me talk daniela you're awesome i keep um reminding myself you're 24 because your life experiences and the deep dive you've done to learn the history of our church, the doctrine, our relationship with heavenly parents. Um, you have a beautiful and unique life mission and you are young. And I give you that in a great compliment that you have decades ahead of you with this foundation you have now to help so many people and bless so many lives and help our church grow and be an example and a mentor to others that will follow in your footsteps so it's an honor having you on the podcast and just hearing you talk. And will you just, again, I don't want to mispronounce your name, so will you tell our listeners your name in closing and also the name of the Facebook group to join? Oh, say my personal my name? Yeah, just so I don't mispronounce it. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. So my name is Daniela Mara Prey. Okay. And the name of the Facebook group again for our listeners. Yeah. So the main group is Uplift Community of Faith. Um, you should be able to search it. And once you're a part of that group as well, we all have all of the subgroups linked. And some of those, again, are mixed faith families for people with family members who have um, distanced themselves from the church. Uh, there is the women's study group um, for, for women only, where we can discuss some issues that are more sensitive to, to women and some of the struggles we go through. There's an LGBTQ group. Um, I'm friends with some of the people in that. I'm not personally in that one. Um, and we have a couple of others as well. We are here to help, here to build a community. I think it's, it's a wonderful thing that community is in the name because it is a community. I do think these online communities can be very, very helpful. They were for me, so I'm grateful for what you're doing um, there, Leo is doing there. And um, I like your tagline on your Facebook page. I'm going to read that for our listeners. Heaven is cheering you on today, tomorrow, and forever. So, Daniela Mara, Mara Prey, um, calling mm-hmm. in from Mexico. Thank you for joining us on a And thank you, our listeners, for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler.